Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. If you have a Bible, open it to Ephesians chapter 4. If you're here for the first time today, we've been working our way through this beautiful letter in the New Testament written by Paul. And we find ourselves midway through Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, we're just going to handle a few verses today, just one paragraph. If you're using one of the Bibles in the little rack in the chair in front of you, you can find that on page 689. And I'd encourage you, if you just forgot your Bible today, to grab that Bible and follow along with us. Or if you don't have a Bible, uh, you're welcome to take that Bible and keep it and make it your own and and uh, use that and read it. Well, um, a person that I live with who's a female, who's over the age of 10, um, says that sometimes I exaggerate. <laughs> in fact, um, she's, she's smarter than I am, and so she has this way with words and kind of has this little phrase, which I actually didn't understand when we first got married, but she said, so, so you know who it is now, um, she said that I function sometimes, I function like my mode is hyperbole, um, and I think there's probably some legitimacy to that, um, I think she's probably right, but having realized that, I think that probably this paragraph that we're going to look at in Ephesians I know I say this a lot, so it's just, I'm like the boy who cried wolf. This paragraph is one of the most important paragraphs in the whole Bible in regards to our sanctification. I mean, it really is just, if we see it, if we see behind and in and what Paul is saying, I, I, think, I think it has tremendous power for us as Christians and for those of us in this room that may not yet be Christians to, to see the power of the gospel. I, I think there's three people in this, types of people in this room. There's, there's people that are not yet Christians. Uh, you may realize you're not a Christian and you're just investigating Christianity. I'm super glad that you're here. You may think you're a Christian, but you're not truly a Christian. I think our culture is full of people like that where we live in kind of a watered down sort of church Bible Belt culture where you know, Jesus is looked at as just kind of an add-on to life. Um, so there's people in this room who aren't yet Christians. I, I think this message is for you because I think, Lord willing, you, you will see the, the power of the gospel behind the commands of scriptures. I think probably also a second group of people in this room is Christians who are struggling very severely with habitual sin. And if we could, you know, just unpack your suitcase, you would be mortified because you realize how, just really how wretched... Um, and how uh, really defeated your life is. And I think if all of us would admit that on some level and some stage of our life we've been there, I think this paragraph from Ephesians is for you in particular. And the third group of people is, is probably Christians who are uh, maybe a little bit more mature, a little bit stronger in the faith, but yet, yet even, even you still sometimes are tempted with some... Um, old temptation or some broken mindset, which uh, is so easy to go back to. I think this message is for you. And so I, I think that probably pretty much covers all of us, Christians or non-Christians, 
and stronger Christians and weak Christians. So welcome, welcome to uh, the merry band of people that need to hear this paragraph from Paul. Um, well, let me pray, and um, then I'm going to read, and we're just going to work our way through these, these beautiful words. Um, Father, I thank you for just the opportunity to gather together as your people, to sing to you, to hear about your work in the lives of this young couple from our church and how you were compelling them to go, and, and then to just have this great liberty and this great joy to open up your word, which we believe is completely true. It's divinely inspired. It's from you. It's for our good. It, it contains within it everything we need for life and godliness. And so, Lord, would you help us now? Uh, I know I pray this and say this a lot, but I think e even as Kwame prayed at the beginning of our, of our time of worship, I think really the heart of today is that you would stir our affections for Jesus. We don't need a list of things to do. We need to fall deeper in love with you, and some of us need to fall in love with you for the first time. Lord, would you help that? Would you make that happen? And would you give yourself much glory? by causing people to come alive in the gospel and causing people to grow in the gospel. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's read in, in Ephesians 4, verse 17. Paul writes, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of of their minds. I think in the NIV version, I'm reading out of the ESV, but doesn't it say in the NIV version, if you're using one of those, where he says something about, I insist on this in the Lord. Maybe that's in Colossians, but, but I, think it's in, I think it's in Ephesians 4 in the NIV. Now, I insist on this. So Paul is, I'm getting a nod from somebody that maybe has an NIV. Okay, thank you, brother, for that confirmation. That's what the NIV says. This is important. I insist on this in the Lord. This is important, and, and I love the strength of the language. It's not just kind of that wimpy little suggestive language that, that it seems to grip most of modern American sort of Christianity, where we're just afraid to take a stand on anything. Paul is saying, no, I insist on this. This is part of what it means to be a Christian, that you no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So what we have here in the first three verses, there are 17, 18, and 19, is a description of their former way of life. These Ephesians, before they came to Christ, it's a description of their former way of life. And what he's going to do in the next four verses is he's going to contrast that now with the Christian life. And he sort of uses this parallel, the description of the old self, which is what we just read, and then this admonition to put on the new self, the new person in Christ. And so in, in these three verses, he's really describing in, in a very stark way the old life before these believers, and really all believers, come to Christ. I want you to notice just a few things before we move on to verse 20. Notice that that the real issue for Paul here is the heart. He, he's not going after some behavior primarily, and he's not, he's not saying that you know, you're doing this, this, and this, and this is making you not a, a, a good representation of Jesus, or you're doing this, this, and this, and this, isn't, this is what's keeping you from being a Christian. He, do, you, do you notice there in verse 18, he says, says they're darkened. 
in their understanding, these people that have yet to come to Christ before you came to Jesus, the old self, you're darkened in your understanding, you're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them. But then he goes to the root issue. He says, due to the hardness of their heart. So right away, we see this clue in this paragraph that the issue really isn't just some sort of external behavior, but it's this issue of, of our heart. Where is our heart? So, so notice there that the real issue is the heart. And there's a second thing I want you to notice is notice that just in verse 19, notice the self-absorption and really the ultimate lack of satisfaction that comes and really depicts this life that is, as Martin Luther, the great reformer would say, is curved in on itself. This life, this old self before Christ. Look what it says there. It says they become callous They've given themselves up to sensuality. But here's the thing about, about living like that is it never really satisfies because, you, you see, you're still greedy. That last part of verse 19, you're still greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And so, so there's this, this really stark reality here that Paul is talking about here. First, it comes from the heart. And secondly, there's just this total lack of satisfaction. But let's admit something here. Let's admit that in... 21st century life, we don't generally, do you notice we don't generally talk about life outside of Christ in such stark terms? We don't talk this way, do we? I mean, do you identify? Even before maybe you were a Christian, isn't it a little bit hard to identify with sort of this, I mean, I mean, come on, I was a, basically a pretty good person, and, and even before I trusted in Christ, I don't instinctively think of my life in such stark terms, darkened in my understanding, alienated from the life of God, ignorant, heart of heart, callous, giving myself up to sensuality, and greedy to practice every kind of impurity. I just want us to take note that the Bible describes life outside of and before Christ in much starker terms than we do. And I'm just kind of going with the notion that the Bible is right. And th that's a sort of indictment on us, isn't it? And, and, and I think it's our natural nature to kind of water things down. And, and part of the struggle, I think, for part of the deception for many of us is we, we really, ah, it's not so, I'm not so bad. And I'm, uh, the Bible never speaks that way. I mean, the Bible, you're either in Christ or out of Christ. There's not sort of, I think, but I think for most American Christians, there's like bad people who obviously are going to hell. And then there's Christians who seem to have some sort of obvious exterior that makes them okay. And then there's kind of everybody else in the middle who, I don't know, we don't really speak about what, what awaits them, but they're just, they're just kind of in this middle. And surely there's some sort of, I don't know, kind of happy middle ground for them, isn't there? Do you realize? I mean, the Bible does not talk like that. And I think that's, I think that's convicting. I think that's indicting. I think that's stinging. I think that's, I think that's the arrow of God piercing through our sort of uh, muddled ambiguity. And so let's, let's go on. Let's read in verse 20 now. So he now makes a transition between a description of the old self and now in verse 20 where he gets into the gospel. But that is not, he says, the way 
you learned in Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, verse 22, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, so do you see the turn? Do you see the contrast verse 17, 18, and 19? The old self, just a real stark description of the old life. And then in verse 20, he does like a 180, and he says, but that's not the way you, Ephesians, that's not the way you learned in Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And so what is this way that they learned in Christ? Well, I think that's what the content of the gospel is. That's what the rest of the Bible is. That's what the rest of the New Testament is. It's the way of Christ. But we don't really even need to go outside of Ephesians to figure out what Paul is speaking about when he talks about the way of Christ. All we have to do is just just go back, just flip the page back to the left to Ephesians chapter 1. Listen to this. I know we spent weeks on this, but just this little passage here we took three weeks to work through but let me just read Ephesians 1 verse 3 through through 10 again listen to this blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now listen, friends, I'm not gonna rehash this because I know that's a very controversial verse and we looked at it a couple months ago and I know every time we speak about that, it ruffles some feathers. But, but if you could just look beyond just sort of the doctrinal differences between people who believe one thing about predestination and people who believe another thing about predestination, can, can you just see the the richness and the beauty and the power of that verse that that you have been saved by Christ who did it for you. He set his love on you and he did this so that you would be blameless in love regardless of where how that truth fleshes out for you. Can you just grab a hold of the power of the investment of the beauty of the strength of the work of the Trinity on your behalf if you're a Christian? And then what, what that should mean, how that should just not be a sort of add-on, but, a, but, but the resounding truth of our lives. I was listening to uh, Tim Keller a couple weeks ago, this pastor up in New York City. Um, bald-headed dude, he looks like that character on Star Trek. He's awesome. I mean, he's just super, super gifted preacher. We sell a couple of his books. One of the best sort of gospel clarifiers of our day and age. And he was telling this story. I'm going to mess it up, and I'm just going to dive into it because I've already started it. Um, I'm going to mess up the numbers. And so see these people that are into, you know, facts about the universe, send me an email, and I'll forward it on to Robert. Um, but um, <laughs> he was talking about, he was at, a, at some sort of retreat as a college student. And when the gospel really got a hold of him, the speaker was saying that um, the distance between the earth and the sun, if we looked at it as a piece of paper, just as a piece of paper, if we measured it by like a piece of paper, the distance between the earth and the sun is, would be like, a s- s- seven, uh, that would be, it's like 72, um, I don't know how many ever millions of miles, but it's like, let's say that's the distance of a piece of paper. 
than if we took the distance between the earth and then the nearest like star. It would be like 72 feet of paper stacked on high. And then if we took the distance of the earth to the edge of just our galaxy, to just our galaxy, with just this one little corner of the universe that we can see, it would be like 310 miles stacked of paper. So from the earth to the sun, one little piece of paper, from the earth to the nearest star, 72 pieces of paper, and then from the earth to the edge of just our galaxy is like 300-something miles high of a stack of paper. Now, I may be wrong, but you get, the, you get the point. So don't look it up. I know some of you are doing it right now. You're Googling Keller Sermon College right now. Like I said, my email is robert at insidecrosspoint.com. But here's the point I'm trying to make, friends, is that Keller said that after the speaker gave that picture, the speaker said, now, is this the type of God that you invite into your, the God who did all of this, according to Hebrews chapter 1, who, who created everything, is that the type of God that you invite into your life to be your assistant I mean, just the folly of, of the American view of God. And, and so, so regardless of what you think about, back now to Ephesians 1, friend, the gospel is the good and glorious news. The way that you learned of Christ that he speaks about here in verse 20 is the great and glorious triune creator who made you for his glory who providentially controls all things and who saved you for his glory and his joy, not because he needed our good works, but because he loved us. In fact, that's what it continues to say in Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to this, Ephesians 2, verse 4. Again, we're just, we're just kind of summarizing the content of the gospel, or as Paul says in verse 20 of what we just looked at today, the way you learned in Christ. He says in Ephesians 2 verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So he takes a dead person, he breathes life into them so that they can see him and trust in him and he forgives them based on what Christ has done on the cross in his death and burial and resurrection, not based on any sort of good work or any little trinket that we bring to the, to the foot of his cross. That's the gospel, right? And so what he's saying here, now this transition back to Ephesians 4, this transition that he's making between this old way of life and this new way of life, he's, not, he's saying that you didn't learn that you can kind of add Jesus to the, to the mix, to the stew as a sort of another ingredient, and then you can kind of do whatever you want to do. He says, no, that's not the gospel. The gospel is this sovereign creator God who made you for his glory, who saved you through no good merit of your own, but simply because of what Jesus did on the cross, who has now given you new life in him so that your life might, might resound, might reflect, might display his glory. That's the way you learned. That's the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have, he says in verse 21. And then he goes into this, this, this beautiful sort of picture where he says now we, we need to put off the old self and put on the new. But here, before we get into that here, 
here's, here's really the one thing. I don't have any notes today. I don't have anything to put up on the screen. I know I get into those sometimes, and it does encourage me when I see you guys writing stuff down. It kind of makes me feel like you're paying attention. But just one sentence today. That's all I got. This is the only thing I want us to see in this paragraph. Is that what Christ has done for us comes before what Christ commands from us. That's the heart of what Paul is saying here. He's saying that the way you became a Christian, the content of the gospel is not that you started to live better and make yourself more acceptable to Christ. No. He says you were a train wreck, you were dead, you were lost in your sin, God seized you, God looked at you, God made you alive in Christ, God gave you a new heart so that you could breathe faith in him, and he made you for something bigger than your own selfish pursuits. That's the gospel. But here's the deal. He's saying to them, live out of that now. Don't, don't, try, and, don't try, and, try and conform to a list of moral behaviors. That's not the gospel. It's not, it's not don't do this and do this. What he's saying before he, he gives this picture of the old man, which is these things that we don't want to do, and before he gets into this picture of things that we should do, which is the rest of chapter 4, he's saying that we can do this because Christ has died for us, he's taken away God's wrath for our sin, and he's given us his righteousness. In fact, that's the gospel, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says that God, meaning the Father, made him, meaning the Son, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see, so do you see, do you have a full understanding of the gospel? The gospel is not just that Jesus died for our sins, as beautiful and as glorious as that is. It's part of the gospel. But the full gospel is, is that Jesus makes us alive. He gives us his character. He gives us his righteousness. He gives us his Holy Spirit, and we now are empowered to make our lives look like his, to live for him, to say no to that old self. And so in one sense, we are justified, we are saved, we are made right, but in another sense, we are becoming who we already have been declared to be in Christ. So, so look at this verse. This is, I think, one of the most beautiful descriptions of the Christian life. It's in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Listen to this. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. For by a single offering, meaning his work on the cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, he, meaning Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So do you see the sort of competing tenses of that verse? This is the way you learn in Christ, not by making yourself better. Jesus makes you alive. He gives you his character. He forgives your sins. He imputes his righteousness to you. He gives you his Holy Spirit, and you are once and for all justified. And now, because he's given you his life, his righteousness, now from that, you have, we have, Christians have the ability to become more and more progressively like him through the course of our life. And Paul is saying, live from that place, not from the exterior, not, not a list of to do and to don't. That's not the way you learned in Christ. It's not behavior modification. It's understanding and leading hard into what Christ has done for us. 
This is what Augustine, the early church father in the 300s, actually 400s, early 400s, he said. He said about the gospel that in it God gives what he commands and commands what he wills. In other words, the very thing that God commands of you, he gives you the ability to do. Remember early on in Ephesians, we made this distinction that the first three, this is really important, the first three chapters are all like gospel. It's a description of what Christ has done. Grammatically, we would call those indicatives. Those things come before then chapters 4, 5, and 6, which are now imperatives, things that we must do in light of that. And friends, we need to understand that that order is very important. When you put the commands of the Christian life or the imperatives of the Christian life don't do this, do this. Husbands love your wives. Wives love your husbands. When you put all of those things before the gospel, before Christ's finished work, what you get is legalism. Because here's the deal, friends. We can't obey God in our own self. We can't do it. We can't get good enough. That's the message of the gospel. And for some of us, we rail against that because we think, oh, well, come on, I can do this. But do you see how good and how sweet that news is? We can't do it. Christ has done it. If you will trust in him simply by the faith that he gives you, then you can do it in Christ. But when we put, when we put the commands, when we put the imperatives of Scripture before the gospel, do you see how that becomes lifeless legalism that none of us can live up to? And so Paul, right there in verse 20, he's flipping it upside down and he's saying, Christ, you can do this in Christ. You can live like this new man. You can live this way that you're called to live. And that's what he spells out for the rest of the book. You can live this way because Christ has given you what he commands from you. And so he says in verse 22, to put off your old self. And in verse 24, to put on the new there's this decision that we must make and that we can make if we are Christians, not because we're strong, but because Christ is strong and has been strong on our behalf. Now there is this decision that we can make to put off the old man and to put on the new man. I think the issue really here is that Paul is saying to the Ephesians and he's saying to us that we, we really just need to be captivated by the gospel. We need to fall in love with Jesus. We need to understand what he has done for us and to let that just stir our affections for him. Not to look at a list of things that we know we shouldn't do anymore because we're Christians, but to see what Christ has done for us and for that to propel us in love so that now we can make these decisions to live, to live for him. This is what Thomas Chalmers, a Scottish pastor back in the 1800s, lived in Scotland, which actually is where most Scottish people live. <laughs> not, all, not all of them, but... Um, uh, anyway, he was a pastor, early 1800s, he preached what may be my f one of my top five favorite sermons of all time. It's called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection, meaning the, it expels. This new affection expels. It kicks out old affections. 
Right, this, this language is a little kind of old English, at least old English, so hang with me here. He says about the human heart, the only way to dispossess it of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. In the gospel, we do so behold God as that we may love God. It is there and there only where God stands as an object of confidence to sinners. The spirit of adoption is poured upon us. It is then that the heart brought under the mastery of one great and predominant affection is delivered from the tyranny of its former desires and in the only way in which deliverance is possible. So let me kind of translate his, his sort of older English. What he's saying is, is that the battle of the Christian life is not to stop doing these things so that we can do these things. But the battle of the Christian life is to see Jesus for who he truly, truly is and to fall more in love with him than anything else. And when, when, when we do that, the gospel, the, the seeing Christ clearly has this, has this expulsive power, right? It crowds out counterfeit joys. It crowds out competing desires. It redeems desires so that those desires are pointed towards the way he has commanded us to, to live and out of them. It, it, it really transforms our hearts just by seizing our hearts with beauty and affection for who Jesus is. And just seeing him has expulsive power. And, and that's what Paul is saying here He's saying, put off this old man by seeing the way you learned in Christ and putting on this new man and living for Jesus, which, by the way, is, is so lined up with our joy. There's this sort of deception that I think most American Christians are under, that if you really live a holy lifestyle and you really give yourself to living for God and you take the Bible seriously and you want to live the way he has commanded us to live sexually and financially and in every other way, that that is somehow sort of contrary to our joy. And I think that's a great deception. In reality, the way that God has given us to live in the Bible is actually all for our joy. In fact, it's the only true way to joy. So how do we do this? Bringing this in for a landing here. How do we do this? What does this look on, like on the ground to, to make a decision to put off the old and to put on the new? to see Jesus and his way and his truth, to expel lesser broken affections with one great new affection. Well, there's a couple things true of everybody in this room here today. You're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. If you're not a Christian, this is great news. This is great news because the message of Christianity, the message of the gospel is not work to try and make yourself acceptable to God. It's, it's see Jesus. Do you see Jesus? Are you convicted? Do you hear these words today? Have you been sort of racing around trying to make yourself acceptable to God? And maybe you've kind of bought into this lie that there's no way you can, you can live for Christ. Well, do you realize you're coming out of a, a wrong paradigm? That's not the message. The message is not do better. The message is rest in the finished work of Christ. John Bunyan, another one of these Puritan cats, lived back in the 1600s, a few few years before 
Tommy C. He said that the law commands me to run and walk, but gives me neither feet or hands. But better news the gospel brings. It bids me to fly and gives me wings. Do you see that, friend? If you're not a Christian, the, the, the message of Christianity is not do better, look better, don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with boys or girls that do. The message of Christianity is trust in the finished work of Christ, who is so much more lovely than any broken counterfeit that you've been chasing. Do you see that? So, so if you're a non-Christian, this is great news. There's no way you can put off your old self. There's no way you can clean up yourself enough to make yourself acceptable to Christ. But Christ has done it on your behalf if you will turn and trust in him. And if you are a Christian, then, then don't we all sort of swing between the pendulum of legalism and licentiousness? You know, isn't that kind of the, 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 just the great pendulum of the Christian life, Right? Sometimes we're legalists, right? We look at something that we've got mastered and we see another Christian who's struggling with it and we say, aha, ha, yeah, rated our movies, they got a tattoo, they smoke, they don't vote Republican. <laughs> Since when is that? You see, we, we, we sort of, we jump onto these things that we can do and we make those the things that justify when that's not what justifies. Christ is what justifies. Do you see how this is the great equalizer? So some Christians, I mean, I do both. I don't know about you. Maybe you're a legalist or somebody that's like licentious in your sin. I'm both. Give me, just tell, ask me what time of the day it is and I'll tell you which side of the pendulum. I'm either a legalist, I'm looking down the end of my nose trying to base myself on my works, or I just want freedom. In an area I'm struggling, grace, grace. Right, so over here I'm a legalist. Over here I just want grace, right? right? Over here I just want an excuse to still live like the old man a little bit. And over here I want to look down the end of my nose because I'm doing the new man stuff better. And do you realize both of those extremes, if we're Christians, are so off kilter of what the gospel calls us to? That's not the way you learned in Christ. If you've got some area in your life that is going well, man, look down with grace on a brother or sister who's struggling. And an area where you're just getting drilled by the flesh, man, trust in Christ. You, you, that's not the way you learned him. Trust in Christ for your righteousness and pursue joy, not some broken counterfeit. I think there's another classification here, and I'll just end with this. This is, is for the Christian crew in here. We all wrestle with the competing, the not competing, but just, again, spectrums of idolatry and self-justification. And we all struggle with putting off and putting on broken mindsets. How does this play out in our mind? Now maybe maybe a, you're a young woman. You're a Christian. You're a young woman, and, and you, you know, you just, you're just ravaged by... Uh, low self-esteem and it, it just racks your your heart right now you you have the power in the gospel to lean into this truth it's not the way you learned in Christ 
Your self-worth is not determined by some fashion industry's concept of beauty. You're Christ's, not the world's. Your body is his, not some punk kid that wants to use you for his own broken satisfaction. You have the power, young lady, to put that off and to put on Christ. Not because you're strong enough, but because Christ has been and is strong enough in you. Maybe, maybe you're a, a young soldier, man. This church is full of young soldiers. I love young soldiers. I was one once. And I'm also keenly aware of the minefield, to use an analogy, of idolatry that exists in the army. And you judge yourself by some little tab on your left shoulder or some combat patch on your right or by some selection for the next promotion or by some school or whatever it is. You, you are empowered in the gospel, young Christian soldier, to put off that broken mindset of identifying and, and esteeming your value by some worldly standard and to put on Christ. And, and don't get me started on how difficult it is to be a military wife, man. I mean, that is a hard thing. we got a bunch of them in this room. That is a hard thing to do, right? Your husband deploys, and, 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 and you, it is so hard to live in that world. And you got little super mom over here who's the head of the family readiness group, right? And you don't know which way is up, and you're just trying to get your kids to be, not wear pajamas all day. And, and so, so you, you, just, you just feel like you're going under, man. And what that does is it just kills your heart. It kills your heart. Because, because you're judging yourself by some sort of external broken standard. You can put off that, you can put that off and put on Christ. And maybe you're a businessman here in this room and the gospel to you up to this point has merely listened to me because this is, this is so prevalent in America. The gospel has merely been to you a means of advancement, a sort of ornament that you hang on your Christmas tree to make yourself more shiny to the outside so that you will seem more moral and more dependable. Friends, that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. Don't add it on as a sort of trinket for your resume. That's not the way you learned in Christ. The way you learned in Christ is that the sovereign God saved you and demands everything from you for your joy and his glory. So that doesn't mean get out of the business world. It means transform the paradigm with which you live in it. You are his. Don't add faith on as a trinket. We all wrestle with these things. Young pastors who plant churches wrestle with these things, gripped with idolatry, judging myself by the number of people in this room or the sort of subliminal reaction that I feel to some teaching or sermon. That's not the way you learned in Christ. We can put these things off and we can put these things on because of what Christ has done for us. I mentioned Augustine a little while ago. Augustine wrote a book called Confessions, and if you know anything about St. Augustine's life, he was a bishop and early church father in North Africa and the church back in the early 400s. 
one of the great writers and thinkers, it's well known that one of the things he struggled with was carnality and temptation. He lived a very licentious and uh, life filled with debauchery before he came to Christ. It was one of his great struggles with the flesh. Had had many, many relationships that um, were, were very sinful. And sometime after he had become a Christian, uh, he was going to some particular town or region where he saw one of his former uh, lovers. And she did not know that the change in Augustine's life and um, she came up to him and was sort of comporting herself like, like the last time that they had seen each other and been together. And Augustine obviously wasn't paying her the sort of attention that he did previously. And he records, I believe, in his confessions where she says to him, Augustine, Augustine, do you not know? It is I. And he looked at her and he said, yes, dear, I know. But it is no longer I. That's the power of the gospel. We can put off the old self and put on the new and walk in true satisfaction because of what Christ has done for us. Friend, if you've never trusted in Jesus, you don't need to jump through some hoops right now. Do you hear? Do you have ears to hear? Look to him, right? Remember what Chalmers said, just look to Jesus and fall in love with his beauty. And when you look to Jesus, you're simultaneously looking away from yourself and sin and you're trusting in him. Trust in Jesus right now. Say, Jesus, here I come with all my, with all my filth, with all my sin, with all my old self, with all my callousness, with all my hardness of heart. Only you, Jesus, can give me a new heart. Only you. Do it right now, friends. You're not a Christian. Maybe it's become clear to you in these past few minutes that you're not. Look to Jesus. Christian, are you like me? Just, just swing between the pendulums. Oh, look to Jesus. It's no longer I, but Christ. Let's pray. Father, I, I come to you now, and I just I, I thank you for this paragraph in Ephesians. It is so rich. Thank you for Paul's words. Father, doubtless there are people in this room who came in here not yet believers in Jesus, not yet your children. Lord, would you give them eyes to see and a heart to believe and trust in Jesus. Would you help them see that it's not cleaning themselves up, but trusting in the perfect one that makes us right with you and then empowers us to live for you? Lord, would you do that? Would you save somebody in this room today? Father, for the rest of us who are already walking with you, Lord, would we feel the weight of Paul's words? We can do this. We, we can change. We can change, not by reaching down deep within us for some sort of grit. We can change by the way we learned in Christ. 
seeing afresh that beautiful new affection of Jesus and walking in his way for your glory and our joy. Lord, would you do that? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.